Well, let's begin today with a brief catechesis on liturgical colors, because they all mean something. So the colors that we wear as, as clergy mean something. They're, they're intended to convey a sort of, I mean, certainly it's an imposed meaning. There's nothing inherent about the color itself, but they are meant to convey uh, certain things. So if we wear white, uh, the color white is a color of celebration, Easter, Christmas, but it's also a, uh, uh, a remembrance of our baptism and eternal life. So we wear white at those big feasts, but we also wear white, can wear white at a funeral, for instance. We generally, generally wear white. Also at a funeral, you can wear black. You can wear black at a funeral because black is a sign of, it's the reason most people wear black to a funeral, many do, is because it's a sign of mourning, so the priest can also wear black, and he can wear it one liturgical day of the year, which is All Souls Day, because of course, it's a day we're focused on, which is November 2nd, day we're focused on mourning the dead and praying for them. Red is the color of either fire or blood, basically. Think of it that way. So it's either a feast of the Holy Spirit, celebration of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost or, or confirmation, um, or a martyr. You're celebrating the feast of a martyr, somebody who died for the, they shed their blood for the faith, hence the blood. Um, what else we got? Green. Green is very, very important. Perhaps the most important liturgical color and the one that we wear the most throughout the year during ordinary time because it's a sign to all of us that... Uh, that God loves the Green Bay Packers more than any other football team. <laughs> green, green is supposed to signify hope. Um, and then purple, of course, which I gladly followed the last one. Uh, purple is the color of penance, which is known intimately to every Minnesota Vikings fan. My poor dad was a Minnesota Vikings fan and he suffered every year. Um, it's like, can't we just win it once? Um, but no, it is, it is meant to convey penance. And uh, there are two penitential seasons throughout the year, Advent and Lent. But the church recognizes that it's not good for us to get too sort of rigorous about penance, that they can get carried away. And the church wants us to remain balanced. So. Midway through each of those purple seasons, the church has a rose Sunday. All right, so we have, you know, the pink candle, the rose candle. And then during, during Lent, there's also a rose Sunday. And during Advent, that's Gaudete Sunday, which is a command form of the Latin, which, which is you rejoice. So rejoice. You are commanded to rejoice. Um, so, you know, ease up a little right? Ease up on the penance. And then in Lent, it's Laudate Sunday. Um, um, Laudate Sunday, I think. Laudate Sunday, which is to praise uh, is the verb. But anyway, the idea is that the reason we have the pink, and you might say, well, why are you not wearing pink, Father? That should be, number one, very obvious to you because it makes me look like a gigantic strawberry. Um, but it is optional, actually, to wear the purple or the pink. Although, there were a number of girls who were pleading with me to wear pink, so I may have to do that for Lent, just so you know they leave me alone. 
Father, why don't you wear pink? All right, I'll think about it. And everyone's going to make fun of me. But that's all right. I'll do it for you. Okay, so that, that's just sort of a brief uh, thing. So here are the third Sunday of Advent. We're to kind of ease up a little. So if you've been a little too focused on penance, or maybe you haven't been focused at all, uh, the idea is to, to lighten up a little. Like, let's not get too deep into it because it's not healthy for us to have it out of balance. It needs to be balanced. It needs to be a spiritual discipline, you know, that is truly beneficial to us. And here we have, for the second week, John the Baptist. And I want to point out something just very particular about John the Baptist, because we had him last week, and I, I gave uh, sort of the, the typical exegesis, you know, explanation of his of his mission and, and kind of what he stands for, you know, like John the Baptist is to Advent as Jesus is to Christmas, right? John the Baptist is kind of represents, he's sort of the personification of, of preparation, preparing the way of the Lord, that kind of thing. Um, so imagine this guy, John the Baptist, emerges. That probably came from a, a particular a religious community, which I won't get into, but a particular Jewish religious community comes out of the desert. And the gospels are really clear to make a point of what he looks like and what he eats, which is another way of saying this guy is weird because that's why you would point it out. If he looked normal, you wouldn't say it, but he didn't look normal, right? He had the huge beard and just the way he looked and probably smelled and, you know, all the rest. It, who is this guy? I mean, it was notable, his appearance, and then even notable what he ate, you know, locusts and honey. And, you know, the, the reason the Gospels point that out is because it's not typical. He's atypical. He stands out. And then he starts preaching around the region. And now remember, just, just about everybody there is Jewish, and the Jewish authorities, the religious authorities, has, have quite a bit of, of power and they have quite a bit of influence. And certainly they're concerned if somebody is just showing up and preaching about, about God and, and the rest and given his appearance and person, personage, they want to find out what's going on. So they send disciples to ask him, who are you? Who are you? Where'd you come from? What are you doing? What's your mission? What's your, what's your goal? And they also want to find out if he's, you know, leading people astray or corrupting them, that kind of thing. And I'm struck by John's answer in its focus and sort of singularity. Let me explain what I mean. They ask him these questions, and he basically says, he says, look, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Um, I'm not Moses, I'm not Elijah. I, can, I was brought out of the wilderness to do this one thing, to prepare the way of the Lord. That's it. There's someone coming after me. You don't know who he is yet, but you will. And he's far greater than me. My job is this, preparing the way of the Lord and baptizing people um, in a baptism of repentance so that they're creating space in their spiritual lives to receive he who is to come. That's it. That's my focus. And John, uh, you know, fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled his vocation. And then he was killed. He was very singular in it. 
And I think there's something we can learn from the singularity that it, of this focus, this vision of, of what he needed to do in his life. I think there's something really important that we can learn because we tend to make a mess of our lives when we try to do too much. We try to do too much. Just, uh, I was at dinner Friday and I asked my niece, I said, you're in eighth grade, right? Yeah, eighth grade. And um, I said, well, typical, you know, uncle question. I said, well, what are you gonna do when you grow up? And, uh, which I said half in jest, of course. And she knew. And she said, I don't know. <laughs> and I thought, that is a great answer. Good, because you're in eighth grade. You don't need to know. You don't need to be an adult. You just need to be the best eighth grader you can be. You don't need to worry about the future. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how it's going to And she had some ideas of things that she's interested in, which is fantastic. But, you know, there was, a, a, even within her, a sort of a focus and a singularity of like, this is, a, this is, this is enough, Uncle John, to do this, you know. And that struck me as, as being actually rather profound and right-headed, clear thinking. Because when we start to do more than we ought to do, we often mess up relationships, you know, get ourselves in trouble, become filled with anxiety, a desire to control things out of our purview, out of what we can actually control, which isn't much. And I, I see this happen um, all the time, this desire for control. You might say, well, where do you see it happen all the time? In me and in you, but in me, because there's this desire to control, right? We want things to work right. I remember early on in my priesthood getting so frustrated. I was talking to an older friend. So this, I was much younger in my 30s, as opposed to you know now being so old and wise. And... Um, <laughs> that is a joke. Um, and I remember saying to him, you know, I keep telling people the right thing to do and they just don't listen to me. And uh, he said, well, yeah, that's what it's like to be a parent. And, um, but he said, you know, Father, your job is to scatter seed, not reap a harvest. You just propose. And that changed my priesthood in, in a really profound way. Because in priesthood, you know, obviously I have thousands of people who I love dearly, I love you dearly, and I want what's best for you, but, and I try to suggest ways in which your life might be better, would be better, and you don't always listen. Now, if I just stayed frustrated about my lack of control of that, um, that leads me to, to a certain type of suffering, Right, Because now I'm filled with anxiety, desire to control, and all the rest. And I learned that one of the most important things is, is to let go. And yeah, some of you aren't going to listen, and you're going to suffer. But I'll be here when you do. It seems to me there's a parallel with parenting. One of the most difficult things for parents to do is to let go when it's time to let go. And it's different for each kid and all the rest. But essentially, you know, if they're 40... You can let go. <laughs> At a certain point, it's not healthy for them if you keep trying to hold on and run their lives. As, as the kids say these days, adulting is difficult. Yes, it is. And one of the best things that parents can do is let it be difficult because we will grow the most 
when we struggle. We will grow the most when we have to deal with adversity, when we have to become more self-sufficient. And it, at a certain point, is kind of sad, and it's also just not good for the child if they're no longer a child and you're still running their lives. And we see it all the time at the church. The mothers of the bride, the grandparents who are upset the babies aren't baptized and the kids aren't going to church, you have to let go. You have to let go. Well, Father, that's going to lead them to suffering. Yes, and that's both difficult and good. Some suffering is good because it is therapeutic. If we don't suffer, we don't know that we need to change, right? If, if the stove wasn't hot and the experience of touching the stove wasn't painful, we would keep doing it, right? I mean, it's simple things like that. So as a parent, understanding your focus, right? When they're little and when they're in the house, you be the best father, the best mother you can be. And then when they get older, you have to let go. And if we don't let go and we try to maintain more control than we ought to, it creates suffering in the relationship. We know this. We've seen this. Many of us have experienced this. It creates more anxiety for us. The more we try to hold on, the more suffering and anxiety we get in our lives. Think about it uh, just sort of globally, worldwide. You can put anything in the box. It could be politics. It could be wars. It could be, you know, anything. Taxes or inflation. I mean, there's so many things to be, that we can be upset about. And the more that we consume information about that, the more we obsess about that, the more it brings suffering because we can't fix it. Neither, there's not a single person here who's going to fix inflation or whatever, politics, whatever. We know what we can do. You already probably know who you're going to vote for. And so we're going to do that, and we hope it works out. But at a certain point, we have to stop obsessing and let go. Stop trying to control what we can't control, because those thoughts lead to our emotions, which bring us suffering. They bring us anxiety and all the rest. How many hours of the news do you have to watch until the point has been made? But we get addicted and addicted and addicted to this, and it consumes us and just makes us worse. Turn off the TV and turn on the football game. (laughs) That's what I do. And if you're younger, you know, if you're a kid, if if you're in grade school, You just, you focus on what you need to focus on. If you're a fifth grader, you be the best fifth grader you can be. You don't need to be an eighth grader. You be a fifth grader, you do what's been given to you, and you do it the best you can. And that means doing some things you don't want to do. It means being obedient to your parents. It means learning how to be nice to your siblings. It means all that stuff. And those are important lessons. And if you don't learn them then, and if you haven't learned it by then, it's going to be difficult for you later on. If you're a teenager, it's probably the worst time in in many people's lives. It's one of the most difficult times for everybody. Teenage years, it can be confusing, and you just be the best ninth grader you can be. Don't worry about the rest. Try to stay focused. What has, this is what John the Baptist did. This is what I was given. This is what I know. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it the best I can. I'm going to stay focused, single-minded, on what God has given me now, and until I receive other information, this is my focus. And there's nothing else 
I can really control. And the more we try to grab onto control of these things, the more it leads to suffering for us. What's the, uh, what's the old, old-timey saying, let go and let God? That's one of them. There's so many sayings like that. There's a reason there are so many sayings about the same point. Because number one, we're not good at it. And number two, we need to have kitschy sayings to remind us. Right? So it's a really good time for us as we finish up Advent here to remember God is in charge. Focus on what he's given us and do the best we can and let go of the rest. Let God be God. Please stand.